Good morning, Parkway Church. Man, so good to see you guys, whether you're gathered at Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, Parkway Victoria, or at a deer stand at Parkway Online. We are so glad that you joined us today. My name is Mike, and it is my privilege each and every week to open the Bible with you so that we can learn and grow together, so we can walk through Scripture and have a takeaway for today. And that's what we're going to do today as we continue our series, Ready or Not. In this series, we're looking at how change works and how the world changes around us, but there are some unchangeables. And so today, we're going to talk about the unchangeable love of God, and I can't wait to jump into today's message with you. But before we do that, I want to give you a couple of updates on some things, some big things that are happening in the life of our church. The first thing is this, following this service at 1215, we're going to have a special called business meeting to take action on the offer that's been made. We have a a developer who's offered to buy two acres of property at Salem and Stockbower. That's the corner here at Parkway, Victoria. And we are excited to see this opportunity as an open door to sell two acres in Victoria so that we can build on our 10 acres in Port Lavaca. What First Baptist did for us by giving us property, Parkway, Victoria, Lord willing, and upon your vote today, Parkway Victoria will do the same thing to help Port Lavaca build the building at the corner of 87 and 35. So today at 1215, I invite you members to come and vote. Everybody's welcome to see and to hear what's going to be built there and the price we're going to sell for. We invite you to stick around 1215 for that special called business meeting. Also, I want to let you know, a few weeks back, we had a generous offer by one of our members in Port Lavaca to match every gift that's given to Port Lavaca, the building fund between now and January 26th. And so I want to give you just a quick update on where we are with that. So we have been offered a $130,000 match. We have given in the first two weeks $11,000, so we've got a lot of room to do That's pretty impressive, and y'all don't seem that impressed right there. We've got some work to do. You know, I took a college class to learn how just to do that, and it paid off. I wish that me just doing this could cause that little line to go up and reach our goal, but it's not just the ability to see where we are and to raise the hand, but it's the ability for us to pray and to give as the Lord leads. And so from now until January 26th, all of us can play a part because that $11,352 that's been given has been matched. So we've actually given $22,704. And so that's a really, really cool thing. Our $11,000 turned to $22,000, and you're not clapping, but I think that's pretty cool. So whether you can give a little or a lot, will you pray and just say, God, help me to know what I should give and what my family should give? so that we can multiply our impact and my generosity can be multiplied. As you think about that and you pray about that, let's talk to God and get ready to step into today's message. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the chance to open the word today and to learn and to grow together. Father, help us in this time to be people who are open to what your spirit says and open to following your word as you lead us and you guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been with us the last couple years, you know that we're on a journey through Scripture. 
We began in the book of Genesis and we worked our way through the Old Testament and through the prophets and through all the challenging teaching of the Old Testament. Then we stepped into the Gospels and the book of Acts and we stepped into the letters of Scripture to the churches. And now we're in a section of Scripture where we're learning about how to rely on the unchangeable God despite changing times. We have been in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And now we're reading the letter of John to the church, the letter of 1 John. And this book of 1 John is one that matters a lot to me. And if you brought a Bible, you can go ahead and find your way to the back of the Bible where 1 John is. You can also use your electronic Bible, your phone, if you need. But 1 John matters to me because when I became a believer at the age of 17, my leader, his name was John, John looked and said, you should read the book of 1 John every day for 30 days. And if you read the book of 1 John every day for 30 days, you will know what it's like to follow Christ. You see, when I came to Jesus, I had no biblical knowledge at all before I believed in Jesus. I mean, I say none, I mean none. I didn't know the stories of the Bible. I didn't know who built the ark. I didn't know where the Ten Commandments came from. I didn't know about the Red Sea. I didn't know about any of that. I just knew that I was a sinner who needed a Savior, and Jesus was my Savior. So I said yes. And then I started reading the book of 1 John. It's only about five pages in my Bible, so I would read it every day for 30 days. And it became the foundation for my faith. In fact, it carried me for the first four years of my faith, both in how I lived as a believer and how I began to teach as one who was leading in college. In fact, Christy would tell you even to this day, once we started dating and once she sat in environments and places where I was teaching, she said, I can always tell whether or not you had time to study this week. Because if you didn't study, you would always just turn to the book of 1 John. And if you had time to study, you would look at other passages. So today, let me say, we're going to dig into the book of 1 John together. <laughs> 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4. Here's what the Bible says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked at and, and, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The testimony that we're about to receive from John is a firsthand testimony of Jesus. And he says, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have touched, we're about to share with you concerning life, concerning the word of life. Listen how he teaches us about Jesus. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He's drawing out the gospel. He says, before anything was, God was. And Jesus, the word, Jesus, the life, was with God because he is God. But this life came to earth. This life was born of a baby. And we have seen it and we have heard it and we have touched and been a part of his amazing ministry. We even witnessed his death on the cross. We even saw the empty tomb. This is the testimony we share with you. We proclaim to you, verse 3, what we have seen and heard. Why? So that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy 
complete. So John was writing to the church so that they would have a complete, full relationship with God. So that his joy would be made complete. And you see an image that John draws on. First of all, he says that if you have this faith, if you have life with God, you will have a relationship with God. And this relationship with God changes how you live in your relationships with people. Check out this image. You see, we've all got the center of the cross. We've all as believers have a relationship with God. This is the vertical relationship in your life. I am me, but I am also a child of God. I am me, but I am also one who's been forgiven and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am me, but I have a relationship with God. I have a vertical relationship. And so no matter what I'm going through, no matter the trouble I face, I can rely upon, I can lean on, I can trust the one whom I know, whom I have seen, whom I have heard, who I have embraced. But not only do I have a vertical relationship, but I also have a relationship with others. There are horizontal relationships in life. When Jesus says, love God with everything you've got, that's the vertical relationship. And then he says, and love your neighbors as yourself. That's the horizontal relationships in life. This love that we have from God affects every other relationship in our life. And John says, I'm writing to you this truth so that our joy can be made complete. And later we're going to hear that he's writing this to us so that God's love may be complete in us. And so today as we walk through the book of 1 John, we're going to uncover God's never-changing will for our love life. God's never-changing will for how we love others based on how he loved us. So I've got a few fill-in-the-blanks for you. First one starts with this. God is the source of love. In our world, we love a lot of different things. You ask me what I love, I will tell you. I love the Dallas Cowboys. You ask me what I love, I will tell you I love Diet Coke. You ask me what I love, I will tell you that I love drinking Diet Coke while watching the Cowboys. This is how love works in my life. But as we look at love in the Bible, we are going to see that God is the source of love. We're going to see that God defines love in such a way that it is so completely is so completely off base to equate the love that God has for us with the love that I have for God's team. It, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. I was like, I, I thought it was funny, and so did he, and I appreciate that. And, and I, it, it's funny, he laughed, and, and I looked, and she pointed at him. It was obvious that he laughed. She was like, he thought it was funny, not me. I love that. But when we look and we say, compared to God's love, the way we know and express love here, oh, it is so, God's love inspires me to love better and to love more, and I can, because he is the source of love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Let's go. If you're ever looking for love in the Bible, 1 John 4 is a great place to look. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Where does love come from? Love comes from God. 
It does not come from my feelings. It does not come from my desires. It does not come from my emotions or my experiences. God is the source of love. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Why? Because God is the source of love. Whoever does not love does not know God because he is love. Now that is a very strong statement. Our love for one another shows our love for God. Our love for one another shows whether or not we even know God and are following God with our lives. This is a consistent theme through all of John's writings. In the Gospel of John, where he told us Jesus' story, the good news of Jesus, John said, all men will know you are my disciples. And a disciple is somebody who's believed in Jesus with, with their life and is following him with all of their lives. They believe and they are following. And he says, they will know you have believed and are following if you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And now John even sharpens the message and says, since God is the source of love, if you believe in him, you should become, you should become who you are now. And that is one who has the source of love in your life. I love how John Piper puts it. This idea of becoming what you are. The very genius of biblical ethics is this. Become what you are. Do what God is at work in you to do. And God is the source of love. Listen to this, 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not been made known, but what we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So God is the source of love. And look at how God's love affects us. It says that, see the great love that God has lavished upon us. He sent us his son to die in our place. See the great love that God has lavished upon us. He looks at us and he sees men and women and children that were made in his image. And he says, I love you. And he pours out his love. He lavishes his love upon us. And what does that do for us? When we see that God is the source and that his son's sacrifice is the source of love for our life, he says, I want to be like you. So because God loves us, we purify ourselves. Because God loves us, as we talked about last week, we live as believers, good, holy, godly lives. Because there's coming a day when all wrongs will be made right. There's coming a day that judgment will come. And we as believers don't have to fear the judgment of our sin because we've been forgiven. But we as believers should long for the day 
that we are purified by the love of God that he's so richly poured out on us. We should long for the day that we live lives of holiness and God-honoring decisions here on earth. We should long for and make decisions in line with the love that God has for us. Because God is the source of love. And when you understand that God is the source of love, it changes how you love others. And it changes how you see others. The second thing I want us to pick up from 1 John is that not only is God the source of love, but God is the standard of love. He is the measuring stick when it comes to what love is and what love isn't. He is the standard of love. As you keep reading in 1 John chapter 4, again, this is a great chapter. If you're ever in a spot relationally where you need to be reminded of what love is and what love does, 1 John chapter 4. If you're ever in a spot when you need to remember that love is a sacrificial gift and love changes things, 1 John chapter 4. Let's keep reading 1 John 4, 9 through 12. God is the standard of love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you want to see love? Love isn't just an idea. Love isn't just an emotion. Love isn't just a feeling. Love is a decision that leads to commitment. And God says, I loved you so much and I love you so much now that I sent my son to pay the price for your sins as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. That atoning sacrifice is the only thing that can make you and me right with God. Someone had to pay for the sin that you and I commit. Jesus paid the price. And he offers us life when we believe in him. Get this, keep reading. Verse 11, John 4. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We also ought to, ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You see, this is the amazing mystery of discipleship and us walking with God and learning how to honor him with our lives, letting the love of God purify our lives. There's something that happens that when we love people, they see God in us. When one who by nature is unloving and unlovable, that's all humans, broken, marred, dead in sin. Unloving and unlovable. When the love of God, he's our source. When the love of God changes us and we begin to love people, what do they see? They see God in you and in me. And as we look at this passage, we see two things that we can do to love each other very practically. Two things that we can do that will show others that this love that we have isn't from ourselves, but it's from God. And the first thing is this, love first. And you can fill in that blank. If we're going to love like God loves us, he is the standard, then we love first. So when... Nick was born 19 years ago. My son is now a sophomore in college, and he's doing great. But when he was born, they, it was a crisis, like birth. It was scary. Um, I'd tell you that story again on another day. 
But they wheeled him in, and it was just me and him, and Christy was out cold because it was, it was scary. And they said, so this is your son. And I learned two things very quickly. The first thing I learned is that this pinky right here is like a pacifier to a newborn baby. And they said, you can, if he cries, stick your finger in his mouth. I'm like, seriously? And then rub the top of his, like, rub the, rub the top of his mouth. And he'll love it. And so I, I learned very quickly, if he cries, pinky passy. Make it happen. And he would settle in and we'd have a moment. The other thing I learned is that I loved him first. Like, I didn't look at him in the bassinet with my pinky in his mouth, and he looked at me and said, mm -hmm. Pinky was in the mouth. He was trying to say, I love you. Get it? I, he never looked at me from that bassinet and said, I love you. That's not what kids do. But I sat there with him, and I held him, and I cared for him, and I said, I love you, and I will always love you. I love you, and I will do everything I can to protect you and to provide for you and to set an example for you. I love you, and nothing will ever change that. See, I loved first because that's how God loves his kids, and that's how God wants his kids to love others. Like, I didn't wait until he turned three and could talk, and he walked up to me, and he said, Daddy, I love you. I didn't wait till he loved first. And then I said, oh, son, I've been waiting three years to tell you that. Thank you so much for telling me so that now I can tell you that I love you. No, we love first. First John 4, 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother and sister is a liar. But whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And when he has given us this, and he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So we ought to love as Christ loves. We have a command that says we must love, which means we must love first. We don't wait to be loved before we love. Couple that's in crisis. Parent that's fed up. Coworker who doesn't want to go back to the office tomorrow. Caregiver who's exhausted because all you're doing is pouring out your life to somebody else. I want to encourage you to love first. In the midst of crisis, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of drama, someone has to love first. Why not you? In the midst of conflict, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of drama, there will come a time when someone must love first. Why not you? Why not now? Christ loves us first. And it's been my privilege because I have a great son, but I don't have a perfect son, and neither do you. It's been my privilege to love him first and to set an example that shows this is how we love first. I also did learn recently when he was taking a nap and a tad bit disturbed that you shouldn't put your pinky in the mouth of a 19-year-old. <laughs> 
So I love first. The second thing we learn with God is the standard of love is that we keep forgiving. I'm about to tell you the exact moment that a relationship ends. If you want any relationship in life, fed up parent, couple in crisis, sick coworker, exhausted caregiver, if you want any relationship in life to end, I'm about to tell you how to do it. Because God tells us as the standard of love, you love first and you keep forgiving. In fact, listen to how Jesus answered the question of how much should I forgive and how often should I be forgiving people. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter asked Jesus this question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? What Peter is asking here is when somebody does me wrong, how should I treat them? How many times should I forgive them? Up to seven times? He thought he was choosing a big number, like the perfect number. And Jesus responds back and he says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And what Jesus is saying here is that I'm not giving you a math problem to solve, Peter, but I'm showing you an issue of the heart. You want to keep a list and you want to forgive people up to seven times. But I'm telling you, you forgive people, not based on a number, but you forgive people based on the forgiveness that I have shown to you. If you want any relationship in life to end, stop forgiving. If you're a couple in crisis and you're ready for the drama to be done, just stop forgiving them. If you're a fed up parent and you are that rebellious teenager, oh, just stop forgiving them. The drama will end. But so will the relationship. With God as the standard of love, what do we do? We love first and we keep forgiving because that's what God did for us. He gave his son as a ransom. The only one that has a perfect son gave his son as a ransom. Jesus died in our place and was raised again from the dead. He gave his son as a ransom so that you and I could be right with God and could love people like God has loved us. So we love first and we keep forgiving. How is this possible, you might ask? In fact, by the looks on some of your faces, you look and seem like, I'm not sure it's possible. But what I love about the Bible is not only does it give us what we should do, but it reminds us of why we can do it. And so God is not only the source of love and the standard of love, but fill in this last blank. God is the spirit of love at work inside of us. God is the source, God is the standard, and God is the spirit, which is why you and I can love everyone everywhere as we're commanded to do here in Scripture. Because God is the spirit of love, and because his spirit lives in us as believers, we can, we should, we ought, we must love as God has loved us. 1 John 4, verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. One of the proofs that you're a believer in Jesus Christ 
is that you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. The Spirit of God convicts you of your sin, and the Spirit of God also empowers you to live a godly life. And when we're living by the Spirit, one of the fruit that we will see in our lives is love. There's a long list of fruits of the Spirit, and love is one of those. The Spirit of God produces love in our life. Listen to how Paul encouraged young Pastor Timothy with the, the, the challenge. He encouraged him with the challenge to see that the Spirit of God brings love, not fear. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. When you feel afraid that you can't love as God has loved you, when you feel afraid that you can't love first and keep forgiving, remember you're a child of God. You're a son or a daughter. The Spirit of God lives in you, and the Spirit that God gave you doesn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love. And as I memorized it the first time, a sound mind. And when you need to love first and keep forgiving, when you need to keep a sound mind, remember that God gave you his spirit, and you have the power to love like he has loved us. How do you do it? Let's keep reading. 1 John 4, 14 through 16. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. It's just that simple. If you believe that you're a sinner who needs a Savior, that's what it means to acknowledge in this passage. If you believe, then you are his child. He is in you and you are in him. And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. How is it possible for the spirit of love to work in you and me. It's possible because the spirit of God lives in us. We are his sons and daughters. It's possible because you and I can do something in our weakest and worst moments. We can rely upon the love of God. Friends, if we are going to love first and keep forgiving, if we're going to set God's love as the standard for our love, then we must rely on the love of God in our lives. So here's my question, Parkway. Here's my question, Port Lavaca Lone Tree Online. What are you going to do this week to rely on the love of God? What's one thing that you can do, one act of love for that couple in crisis, one act of love that you can do for your spouse? For that fed up parent, what's one act of love that you can do? They don't deserve it. They didn't earn it. But still, you love them. To that person that doesn't want to go back to work tomorrow. I mean, this is where love becomes real. How are you going to depend upon the love of God tomorrow? What's one loving act that you can do? to love first, and to keep forgiving. Friends, because God is the source of love, I can rely on his love. 
And because God is the standard of love, I could see his love change my relationships. So this week, what are you going to do to show the world that you know the one who has loved you and gave himself up for you? What are you going to do this week to make his love complete in you? Because he loves you, you will love others. Let's talk to God. Father, we thank you for the chance to open the Bible and to learn and to grow and to be challenged today. God, help us as we apply these words of yours to our lives. Church, as we begin to pray, maybe this is a moment where you need to confess that you've allowed the source of your love to be something besides God. Whether that's feelings or emotions or experiences, God is the source. Maybe you've allowed the standard of your love to slide, and so instead of loving first, you're waiting to be loved. Maybe you've allowed the standard of love to slide, so instead of keeping forgiving, you're stopping the grace. Maybe in this moment, you need to pray for that spouse if you're a couple in crisis. You need to pray for your child if you have if you're just a fed up parent, or you need to pray for your coworker if you say, I don't know how to go back, or if you feel like you're on empty because all you're doing is pouring out as you're a caregiver for a loved one. Maybe right now you need to turn to God and tell him, thank you that you're my source and you're my standard. Help me to get up one more time in this marriage. Help me to get up one more time as parent. Help me to get up one more time and go to work and honor you. Help me to get up one more time and to pour my life out, receiving nothing in return. Help me to get up one more time and show the world that I know you by loving them. As the church prays, if you have never believed in Jesus for life, I encourage you to believe right now and find life. The Bible says that we are all sinners who need a Savior and that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He died in our place, atoning sacrifice we saw in Scripture today. He was raised again from the dead to prove that he's God. And the Lord Jesus now invites you to believe. That's your response. Believe and find life. If today's your day, you can mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you're the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.